Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. We got to remember that God can change lives and He can change our city through the power of His Word. And um, for Paul, there was a lot of challenges, but you know what? He just went about sharing the truth. And that's what I love about him. He just, it did not deter him. He sure might have been discouraged and he might have been struggling some, but he still continued to just share the gospel and teach the word to those who would listen. And that's our job today, just to tell those who would listen, leave the results up to God and continue to share his truth. And just like God promised for a year and a half, that was the case. He was able to share the truth without fear, without uh, being harmed physically or being attacked. But eventually, here's what happened. It became an issue for the Jews. Now, God did protect Paul physically, but that didn't mean that his ministry was free from attack. And so as we continue in our story today, we are going to see the Jews begin to get upset again. Surprise, surprise. And in fact, this time they take Paul to court. And so point number one tonight, uh, this, tonight, this morning, sorry, this morning, I want you to see here Paul's court case, all right? Point number one today, we're going to look at Paul's court case. All right, look at verse number 12. And it says, and when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, that's the region that Corinth was in, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So he's in court saying, here's what they said, they accused him, this fellow uh, persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. So these Jews come and they bring him before Gallio. Now we know for a fact, and it's interesting, this is the most accurate time frame of the Apostle Paul's ministry that we have. In fact, much of the idea of when he was doing ministry is built off of this specific situation because the Romans were very adept at keeping records. And so we know that Gallio was the proconsul of Corinth between AD 51 and AD 52. So we know it happened within this time that the Jews brought Paul and accused him before the Roman proconsul there in Corinth. He was a Roman judge, and the Jews brought the complaint that Paul was teaching or trying to convince people to worship God in a way that was contrary to the law. Now, to the Jews, what law were they talking about? They were talking about their law. They weren't talking about the Roman law. And so this is what I want you to notice what happens on verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews. So Paul's about ready to defend himself. He's like, I got something to say about this. And then Gallio just steps in and look what he says. If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, which to me that's ironic coming from the guy who's over, who's the judge over Corinth. But look, that means for them even there was wrong and there was wicked lewdness. Imagine how far down the line that was compared to the society, right? And he said, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. He said, I'll listen to you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, <laughs> look ye to it. For I will be no judge of such matters, is what Gallio says there. Now, I like him. I think if he was running, I'd vote for him. Uh, not because he was a Christian or anything, but because of his approach to this subject of separation of church and state. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing a picture of that. He seems like a decent guy. See, Paul's ministry is being accused. And what Gallio did was take the correct approach by telling the accusers, is this is something that dealt with your faith? Is this is something that deals with your law, the Jewish law, which of course was their faith as well? He says, then you should be the ones 
to deal with it. He said, if it had to do with something here in the city of Corinth or with the law that we have, he said, I'll handle it. But just because it's your opinion and your dislike of a certain religion or of the way that Paul was teaching, he was not going to waste his time on it. And what we see here is something, I believe, two things that we can be very thankful for. First of all, like I mentioned, this judge here was acting how I would want all government to act when it comes to people of faith. See, as people of faith, we have and are protected by the Canadian Charter of Rights, the process of freedom of religion, the ability to practice our faith as we see fit by our, as the law says, our holy books. And of course, for us, that is the Bible. And so what we see here is him stepping back and allowing them to sort of sort things out. And uh, for us today, we need to be thankful that we still have that freedom today here in Vancouver. It may not be for long, but for now, we still do have the ability and the, the privilege of freedom of religion. Our ancestors and those that came before us, our Baptist forefathers, did not always have that. In fact, we're often uh, persecuted by the state religion. But for today, we do have that ability. And so what I see here and what I like and what we can be thankful for is that he says, listen, if that's something that you need to deal with, then you need to uh, take care of it. And for us today, we can have our faith without fear of disruption from the government, although times are changing. We're even seeing it down in the United States. There are some places there that are really seeing the government place restrictions on them uh, that they do not place on mass gatherings and protests. Now, we can get into all of that if we wanted to, but there's a lot of hypocrisy in a lot of places, and uh, we will see it come our way. But we can be thankful at this time that Gallio was acting uh, in this proper way. The second reason we should be thankful for this ruling of Gallio here is that the ruling that he placed this day honestly set up the ministry for the Apostle Paul for the next decade. He was a Roman judge, was he not? And so now Paul had proof from a Roman judge that, listen, I'm okay to practice my faith. I'm okay to teach and to preach. And again, remember, they, they viewed what Paul was doing, Christianity, was part of a Jewish sect. That's how Rome viewed it at that time. But this ruling that came down from Gallio set up Paul for the next 10 years of ministry, what took place. And so we can be very thankful for that. It's so interesting to me how Gallio, a Roman judge, is being used of the Lord to protect the Apostle Paul and protect the movement of the gospel now for the next 10 years. It reminds me of Proverbs 21.1, which says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. What that tells us is that our God is sovereign and our God is in control, and it is not beyond our God to use an unsaved person to do his will. And that's what we see here, Gallio being used by God and God revealing to himself that he is in control. He's in control of the Apostle Paul's ministry, and God is in control of your ministry and of your life today. And we can thank him and praise him for that. Well, Gallio, after giving his sentence, though, he kind of had enough. And so look at verse number 16. It says, and he drave them from the judgment seat. That means he drove, get out of here, you guys. And he kicked them out of the judgment seat. Then it says, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. That's a hard name to say. Sosthenes the chief ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of these things. I find that very interesting. He says, you guys need to get out of here. And then these Gentiles came in. They took Sosthenes, who was the leader of the, of the synagogue there, and they beat him there right in front of Gallio. And he 
didn't give a rip. He didn't care at all. Now, why did they beat Sosthenes? That's a question that I had. Why did they beat this guy? You know, why did he all of a sudden go through? We don't know. <laughs> we have no idea why. He was the leader of the synagogue. Maybe it was that, hey, you wasted Gallio's time, so we're just going to make you pay for it. I don't know what, what the reason was, but they beat him here. It's interesting. Sosthenes was the leader, as it says there, of the synagogue. But if you remember just a few verses ago, the leader of the synagogue was a guy named Crispus. You remember that? Now, he had turned to faith, and so Sosthenes must have been the replacement for him after Crispus followed after Paul and became a believer. And probably within the first few months of his leadership, he's beaten in front of, uh, in front of Gallio. Now, here's what's so cool, though. If you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I got the verse up here for you. I want you to notice this. Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. How cool is that? Sosthenes eventually became a believer and a part of the local church there in Corinth as well. I'm assuming post-beating, because at the time of beating, uh, he was a part of the synagogue. And so post, he became a Christian as well. I don't know if the beating led him to that. I don't know uh, if he was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to follow Paul. He seems to be protected, whatever it may be. Uh, but at some point, he became a believer and worthy of being mentioned in the first sentence of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. He's the first one that Paul mentions there. Now, you say, well, what do we make out of all of this? Well, what we make out of this is that this to us is a picture of God's protection and his promise keeping to the Apostle Paul. He said, I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will be with you. And because of that promise, Paul is able to have his longest and most fruitful ministry uh, so far in his missionary journeys. And God used his time there to reach people with the gospel, to disciple new believers. That doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. And Paul had the ability to establish this church for the Lord in a very, very difficult places for a difficult place. For us as Christians today here in Vancouver in 2020, what we can be encouraged with is that uh, if we are faithful to God's will, if we will share the gospel, if we'll disciple new believers, we uh, uh, can be used of God to accomplish something during this time of peace. And I want to draw this connection here real quickly. God gave Paul a year and a half to establish a church, and to disciple new believers, and to see God do something great. He gave him a moment of peace, and Paul took great advantage of that time of peace, didn't he? Now listen, we are in a moment of peace right now as a church, still. The American church, or the North American church, if you want to call it that, has been in peace without fear of attack or persecution for literally now hundreds of years I wonder, have we taken advantage of that moment? Have we taken advantage of that moment as Christians today? What are we going to do with the months and years that we have left of peace before we are pushed into persecution or even forced into underground or hiding as the local church? I feel like the church has maybe missed an opportunity to take advantage of the favorable conditions in North America towards faith in Christ. It's been sort of a honeymoon stage for a long time, but that honeymoon is over. <laughs> now it's the 14th year of marriage. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, sorry. Uh, Jeanette and I are on 14th year of marriage right now. <laughs> Almost 15 years. <laughs> just, I'm just joking. Uh, anyway, <laughs> help me. It's the 9 a.m. service. I can joke around, right? Okay. All right. Good. Uh, <laughs> Here's what we got to realize, church, is that we are probably in the final years of that stage, though. We're in the final years, and our time may be short to freely proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
what are we doing with that time? Paul had a year and a half and he was all in. He was ministering in such a great way. What are we doing with the freedoms that we have today? So Paul's case, though, was thrown out, and the ministry could then continue again without fear. But Paul's time in Corinth was also coming to an end. And so we see, secondly, Paul's return to Antioch. We see his court case, but now we're going to see his return to Antioch. Now, the next six verses for us is kind of like a travel blog. You know, you ever read those? And uh, if I'm going to travel somewhere, I'll look them up. Or if I'm going to go on a hike, I'll look up somebody's blog post. And they have all these pictures. And this is what you'll see. And this is what it'll be like. To us, that's kind of what it is as Paul uh, leaves Corinth and completes his second missionary journey. And he leaves and he eventually goes all the way back to Corinth in Syria or Antioch in Syria, where it all began back in chapter number 15. But let's look at verse 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, so he stayed even longer, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed uh, thence unto Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. Look at that. They went along with him, having, now this is interesting, shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. Now, this is kind of an interesting little little thing here. You say, well, what, what in the world is going on here? Well, he's leaving Corinth. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila go with him. Now, that's a blessing right there. And they often would travel with him. Uh, They were going along. He'll leave them in Ephesus in just a few uh, moments here. But they traveled with him, meaning they were willing to leave their business and go along to support the work of God and to support the Apostle Paul and what he was called to do. That's a blessing, right? It's a blessing that someone would be willing to sacrifice in that way to see the gospel go forth and to help, I believe, to go along and help care and provide for him. And Paul's intent, though, when he first left was to go to Jerusalem. He did end up in Antioch, but he did go through Jerusalem. And the reason we believe that is because it tells us here that he shaved his head in Centria. You see that? You say, what a weird detail. Paul shaved his head. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, Well, why would he have shaved his head? Well, he would have shaved his head to conclude what was called a Nazarite vow. Nazarite vow. Now, you've heard of those before. You can read about them in the book of Numbers. Uh, back in Numbers chapter 6, really talks about the Nazarite vow. But part of the Nazarite vow is that someone would vow, I will not cut my hair, I will not eat certain things uh, for an expressed amount of time. And so uh, that's, that was something that was a Jewish uh, thing, a Jewish vow. And so Paul's uh, process of that would have been to shave the hair when the vow was done and then to take the hair to Jerusalem in a Ziploc bag, no, I don't know. <laughs> take the hair to Jerusalem, it's kind of gross a little bit, and offer a sacrifice, and then burn the hair there in the temple area as a showing that I have done this thing, and I've completed my vow, and I am now God, I have completed what I vowed to you. Now, we, we take the idea of vows pretty lightly today, but a vow that you make to God is a pretty serious thing. So for the Jews, they would often have a physical aspect of it that would represent what they were doing. And so for us, it shows us here that Paul was still pursuing and doing Jewish things, Jewish vows, even though himself had preached that he was free from those things. And you say, well, what? So then what is going on here? Why why is this? Here's what it shows us is that Paul, though he had followed Christ, uh, never disregarded the law's relevance to Jews. He never disregarded uh, some of those things. Uh, One author said it this way, uh, once Paul had been liberated from the attempt to be justified by the law, his conscience was free to take part in practices, whether ceremonial or cultural, um, things that belong to matters indifferent as a category. And he says here, perhaps on this occasion, he did it in order to appease the Jewish Christian leaders that he was then going to 
see in Jerusalem. Now you say, what does this really matter to us? Now today, we don't follow Jewish practices. We don't have these uh, uh, laws or vows or ritualistic approach to our daily life. But there's a principle here that I want us to notice and take note of. And it's very helpful because it reminds us again of our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, we have great freedoms in Christ, and we believe in the priesthood of the believer, and we believe in uh, that we all will stand and give an account for ourselves, each one of us to God. Um, but what we can notice here is that as followers of Christ, it is possible for us still to have different approaches to our faith. It is still possible for us to have varying approaches to how we worship, or even the way that we approach God. Now, today it's not in, uh, you know, I'm not going to cut my hair for six months or whatever like that. You know, uh, uh, we, we understand it's not necessarily in that physical aspect of things, although you may make a vow for, um, uh, to fast or to, to, to uh, uh, maybe abstain from something for a while in order to uh, connect or get closer to God in that way. But definitely today we see varying approaches to worship as far as the way people dress when they worship, maybe even the way they dress in, in life, the way that they uh, worship, the songs they sing. You understand what I'm saying, right? Like there's so many different uh, aspects that, that uh, different approaches, even at different commitment levels to different ministries, and many, many, many more differences. However, in Christ, we are free to do that. We are free to make different decisions, and we must always then give grace to those who are different than us. See, the law was about you do it this way. Everybody does it this way. No variance. This is what you do. In Christ, we are free to worship the Lord, and we are free to pursue our faith within the confines of his word, of course, and the instructions given to us in uh, the New Testament. And you got to think, there were definitely some who criticized Paul for taking a Nazarite vow. I really believe that. I mean, wasn't he the one who preached, you're free from it? It's like, Paul, you just preached we're free from this. Why are you doing this thing, right? Why would he take it on, them, on himself? And we don't know why he would, but the point was is that he was free to do it if he wanted to. He was free to uh, subject himself to a Jewish law if he so desired to. And so for us, what we can learn is that when people make decisions that are different than us, we are not to accuse them of being uh, legalists or accuse them of being liberals uh, or accuse them. We have to say, listen, you have freedom in Christ to make that decision. And as long as it's not a clear violation of Scripture, by the way, some people try to clearly violate Scripture and say that, oh, no, I'm following, you know, the Word of God. If they're clearly violating Scripture or living in sin, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, that their drug usage brings them closer to God. I would say, no, I'm not okay with that, you know, Scripture. Like, sure, you might have great visions, but I don't think they're from the Lord. And so, um, you know, like, there, there are some things that are pretty clear in Scripture here. But I think you understand we are free to be uh, different and express, and, and even from church to church, you know, uh, there's differences. And so if somebody has a, let's say, a stricter standard or, or maybe have different approaches to it that we would view as maybe a little bit strict, guess what? That's okay. They're free to do that. And, and, and the same grace that, that we want them to give maybe you because you take a different approach, you should also give to them in whatever way it is. And so Paul here deserves grace from the other believers just as much as he gives grace to the Gentiles who are coming from completely no faith background and learning about Jesus Christ for the first time and how they're growing into it. And so the point is, we got to give grace, and Paul illustrates that for us. Well, the blog posts continue here in verse number 19. And he came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Who did he leave there? Aquila and Priscilla. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, remember, he said, I'm done with you Jews. But well, look at that. We see him going. 
Remember, he's seen what had happened in Corinth. He thought, you know what? The Lord still has something for these people. And when they desired him to tarry longer, a uh, longer time with them, he consented not. They said, hey, stick around for a while. He said, nah, I'm out of here. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. He had a purpose. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem. But I will return unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Well, he made it to Ephesus. I've got a map here of the trip that he would have taken uh, along with them from Corinth down to Centria. Uh, which, of course, uh, that little port, remember, Corinth had two ports right there, the port on the left and the port right there on the right where he would have taken off of. They would have walked there, taken a ship all the way over to Ephesus. He leaves uh, Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus, um, a, a place that he had desired to go, but had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he desired to go to Asia. That's that what was considered Ephesus there. But he was forbidden. Uh, but it was going to be a big part of the third missionary journey to come. And, and to me, it's such a blessing when God gives you the desires of your heart just in his timing, not in your timing. And that's what we're going to see here next is Paul does get to minister where he desired to minister, but now it's in the right time in the right place. And so he leaves them there. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. So he went to Jerusalem. Remember the idea of up and down, right? Antioch is actually north, but it says that he went down to Antioch while he had already gone to Jerusalem. He goes down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Paul was always the encourager. And right here is the beginning of his third missionary journey. Now, this is, I mean, it just goes bang, bang. There's no like, and he took six months to rest on the Mediterranean. No, I mean, it was right away. As soon as he went to Antioch, he met there with the, the model church that we learned about 10 messages ago. The model church, he met with them and he says, all right, off I go. And he began to encourage the believers in Galatia and Phrygia. That would have been Lystra and Derby and Iconium, all these cities that he'd already been to. He went back through them and encouraged them along the way. And his third missionary journey begins. And we're going to pick up that third missionary journey in the weeks to come. But what is so interesting about this passage is that Dr. Luke, who's writing this book, decides to take a little sidebar from the journey of the Apostle Paul. And he relates to us an incident that took place in Ephesus that involved Aquila and Priscilla. So for our final point uh, this morning, I want you to see Paul's legacy in action. Now, throughout what we have seen is that we have seen Paul, you know, he'll go and he'll preach and it'll name maybe a few people that got saved. You know, Quill and Priscilla they got saved and so-and-so and they invite him to his house. But we don't really see much of the after effects of that. And so that's why my third point is called Paul's legacy in action, because we're going to see Aquila and Priscilla minister to somebody in a very, very unique way that I believe is a testimony and a legacy to the Apostle Paul and how he taught them. And so it's 945. We're going to finish up in 15 minutes. Sound good? All right, here we go. <laughs> where he's like, oh, it's already 945 already. Uh, verse 24, and a certain Jew named, say it with me, Apollos, Apollos. Okay, so there's a certain Jew. So we already know he's Jewish. His name's Apollos. Born at Alexandria. Now, wait a minute. We'll talk about that. Uh, he was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So this is where Aquila and Priscilla were. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught differently, or sorry, diligently, the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So we're back here in Ephesus, and this man named Apollos, who comes from Alexandria. Now, Alexandria was the capital of southern Egypt, and it was named after Alexander the Great. Uh, for th some 300 years before this, this city had been founded or taken over, uh, and, and it was Alexander's ideal that it would be the metropolis of the Western dominions. Now, Apollos came from Alexandria, and if he had been raised there, he would have been raised in a very highly cultured, 
intellectually superior city that was known for its world-class library. Even today, the library at Alexandria, uh, it's not a public library, but you understand the ancient library that they have discovered that was there, I mean, it was world-renowned at the time, universities everywhere. It was a center for philosophy. It was a center for debate. It somewhat took over what Athens had been uh, before. And so this was a very impressive place that he came from. And we do not know why Apollos came to Ephesus, but we do know that he, as a Jewish man, came to that city, and he began to, uh, it says he was instructed in the ways of the Lord, uh, and he taught diligently or accurately the truths of the Word of God. Now, to me, I believe that he was a believer. There's some debate on this. I believe that he was a believer in Jesus the Messiah at this point. And all in all, what we know about Apollos is that he was well-educated. He was skilled in the art of oratory or of public speaking that was highly, highly uh, uh, admired in Greek culture. And we see him here passionately sharing the truths about the Messiah. Maybe he was an itinerant preacher. We don't know. But either way, he traveled and he was in Ephesus and he was preaching what he knew from the Old Testament. And if you read that verse at face value, it seems like this guy was pretty impressive. He was mighty in scripture. I mean, he knew the word of God. And he was a great uh, uh, preacher for sure, if people would come and would listen and hear him. However, Apollos had one major limitation. One major limitation. And you see it there at the end of the verse where it says that he, knowing only the baptism of John. He was uh, mighty. He was fervent in spirit. Uh, he was mighty in the scriptures. But yet he only knew the baptism of of John. You say, well, why is this a limitation? So I'll tell you why it's a limitation real quickly. It was a limitation because the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. So if you go all the way back into the beginning parts of the New Testament, before Jesus' ministry came along, John was preaching and teaching, John the Baptist, right? He was preaching and he was teaching and he was baptizing people. But when he baptized a person, it was a baptism of repentance. It was a picture of their repentance. They were repenting of their sin, and they were trusting in the Messiah who was to come. And that's how people were saved in the Old Testament. They trusted in the Messiah to come. And so he was baptizing them of repentance. That was a picture of their repentance of their sin. But they were being baptized according to what was about to happen with the Messiah, which, of course, was Jesus Christ. However, the baptism, of course, that is in the New Testament was a baptism of remembrance of what Jesus had done, right? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, the picturing was there of cleanliness, of repentance and coming up. But the idea now, what it represented was the death, the burial, and the, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So a couple of different things. He only knew the baptism of what was to come. We have the baptism of what was done, meaning it was completed. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, I should have covered my mic. <laughs> Excuse me. Does that make sense? Okay. So for Apollos, it's very likely that he had been baptized maybe by John the Baptist himself or one of his converts. But what we understand is that he had not yet heard about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. And so for him, he was preaching and he was teaching about the Messiah, 
Uh, but he could not take the Jews that he was speaking to any further than he had already been himself, which was only the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. Thankfully, providentially, Aquila and Priscilla were in Ephesus, right? That's where they were. And, uh, and so they heard him speaking in the synagogue, and we see something incredible happen in verse number 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. I love this verse. This is really, really great. So you're like, why is this great? I'll tell you. Just watch, okay? This is so great. Aquila and Priscilla had learned greatly from the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. They spent a year and a half with them. They traveled with them. They loved him dearly, lived in their home. They worked together. And so when they privately invited Apollos to their home and mentored him to fully understand Scripture, that to me is a picture of what Paul had done for them, what Paul had shown to them. Now, a couple of things to note here. (coughs) Sorry. I don't know what happened. A couple of things here. They did not rebuke him openly. You see that? (laughs) They weren't like, heretic, (laughs) you know, in the synagogue. They didn't yell at him or embarrass him publicly. They brought him to their home, and they kindly shared with him where he was missing the point. Where it says here, where it says here that they took him unto them, that literally means to take in addition to, meaning uh, they made room in their lives for Apollos. They already had a lot of things going. You got to think, these were entrepreneurs. They would have uh, come in there and started up their business in Ephesus right away. They would have started working. They would have been very, very busy, but yet they made room in their lives for Apollos. The lesson for us is so big, I think, because so many Christians today say, I don't have time. And we say, I don't uh, have room in my schedule to mentor somebody. I don't have time to invest in a young Christian. I don't have time to uh, teach somebody through a discipleship course. And, and what this shows us is two very busy people making room in their schedules for somebody. Making room in their schedule because they knew it would make a difference. I think you'd agree with me today that, I, that you and I am grateful for those who have made room in their schedules for us in their lives. I'm so thankful for those that have taken the time, and, and even though they're very busy, and even though they're maybe doing a lot of things, have taken the time to reach out and to mentor me and to help me and to encourage me. What a blessing that is. This is something that the church needs more of today. People who are willing to open up their lives and to make room for somebody who needs some help, somebody who needs some mentoring, somebody who needs some growth. You know, if we only wait until we have time, it will never happen. And if we only wait for the pastor and his wife to have more time, it may not always happen because we have a full schedule and we try to make a lot of room for a lot of people, <laughs> right? But as Christians, this is a, a, a passion that we should have, that I'm willing, I'm going to make room in my life to help somebody out. And so they allowed him in and they mentored him. And last, yes, mentorship takes sacrifice and it takes service to somebody else. But that's what we see Aquila and Priscilla doing, investing in Apollo, showing him what it means to be a Christian, telling him about the resurrection. Can you imagine as they told him, like, hey, man, you did a great job preaching that message, but I got to tell you the end of the story. He's already come. He's already died on the cross. He's already uh, risen from the dead. And we know, and, and we also have to give credit to Apollos here because he accepted their help, right? He accepted their help. He was teachable. He would have had far more education and far more training, yet he was willing to be taught. He had a teachable spirit. You know, I recognize the, um, 
I recognize that our society today definitely elevates people who just sort of figure things out. And I get that, you know, that attitude of just, you know, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to figure it out myself. But I think what is lacking often in our society, and, may, and I'm not just pointing at younger uh, age groups or anything like that, but one of the things that is lacking is a desire to go to somebody who has some experience and reach out to them for some help. You know, we live in the I'll Google it generation. <laughs> I'll just look it up on YouTube. And by the way, YouTube's great and Google is great. You can learn a lot of things. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to growing in your faith, when it comes to matters of the Bible, uh, it, the best way still is to put yourself under the authority of a local church, uh, read the Word of God, and to be mentored and to be taught uh, by people who you trust and people that you know uh, are mature in their faith. Far too many people are led astray by online Bible teachers who often lead them uh, to think that they know everything, and often they lead them to sometimes false teaching as well. There's nothing more difficult as, as a pastor to try to help somebody who tells you, I, oh, I follow this guy online and he's already taught me everything. And in fact, pastor, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, and it's like, okay, well, we're at an impasse here because what, you know, what are we going to do if it's always a competition? Now, this isn't about my own insecurities at all, okay? Understand. But there is a structure that God has created that is a place that can foster growth and foster development. We must be teachable people, though. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. I love that we, we could break that down as a whole message right there. But I think you understand, we got to be um, show humility one to another and be willing to learn. That's the idea of being teachable. Proverbs 9.9, 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Meaning a wise person will receive instruction, and it will grow even more. And Priscilla and Aquila were able to show Apollos what was missing because of what Paul had taught them, and he was a teachable guy. We must never think that we are beyond more instruction in the Word of God. We must never think uh, the Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. We are continually uh, moving on at a slower pace, and it's because there's a continual growth that has to take place. And there are pastors uh, that are friends of mine that have been pastoring for 35 and 40 years, and whenever I ask them for advice, it's always funny. They're like, well, I don't know. I'm still learning that. You know, I'm still trying to understand that. I'm still trying to grow. I'm like, you've been pastoring 35 years. Why don't you have it all figured out? No, because the Word of God is alive. It's alive. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing center of soul and spirit. That has a lot of application, but I think as a Christian, as you grow older, the Word of God does change for you. And it, as a living word, it can begin to speak and point to those places that you still need to grow and still need to develop in. That's the beauty of the word. It's not just like a, hey, learn this textbook and you'll get an A in life. It's living. It, it, it changes us. Notice the difference it made in Apollos, verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass unto Achaia, the brethren wrote. So he then went to Corinth from Ephesus. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, <laughs> which had believed through grace. So those that had believed through grace, he helped them tremendously, for he mightily convinced the Jews. Notice before he just preached to the Jews, now he convinced the Jews. And that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. The influence was real in his life. A couple of things I want you to notice. First of all, his preaching here was helpful. It was helpful to them. It wasn't just showing off his knowledge. It was helpful. His preaching was also powerful. I believe it was powerful because he now had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. 
He had all the pieces. Now they're all in place. And he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, just like someone who fully understands and then turns to Christ can receive the Holy Spirit. And he, and, he, and he had power from that, but also his preaching was scriptural as well. He used the scripture to convince the Jews that Christ was the Messiah. John chapter 5, verse 39 tells us to search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. It is the scriptures that can show us how we can have eternal life. And all of this was possible because of the influence of Aquila and Priscilla following the example of the Apostle Paul. And what I love is that they were worthy of his example. They were worthy of the influence because they also were people of faith, people who trusted and followed after the Lord. Now, there's a lot of lessons in our passage today. I'm just gonna sort of, I'm gonna try to simplify it for us real quickly here as we just sort of walked along through these passages. First of all, I think that we can be reminded today to be thankful and redeem the time while we have freedom of faith right now. That's one lesson. I think we need to be thankful for that and we need to redeem the time that God has given to us. As well, there's lessons in here about showing grace to one another, showing grace to people who are at different levels of sanctification than we are. The process of sanctification is a lifetime pursuit, isn't it? Of being set apart for God. And so we need to demonstrate and reveal grace to one another in our sanctification, the choices that are made in our walk with the Lord. And as well, I think a big lesson from this is the power of influence in somebody else's life. And how you can make a difference for eternity if you would just willingly invite someone in and, and, and make a difference to them as well, the difference that can be made in your life if you would humble yourself to instruction from the Lord as well. You know, as a church, imagine the joy and the growth that we would experience if we were a church of Aquilas, Priscillas, and Apollosuses. <laughs> I don't know, I guess that's how you say it. <laughs> Apollosuses. Imagine that. Imagine the difference that could come. And, 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 and to me, uh, if our church was a place where young uh, Christians had the support that they needed to grow, if uh, young believers had uh, the mentors that they needed and where mature Christians have the trust and the listening ear of younger believers, the only result that would come from that would be spiritual growth, <laughs> strengthening of our spirits, and confidence to continue to face the challenges that we have of ministering here in Vancouver. And so for today, that's really the big idea for us. That's the big idea for us. Let's be Aquilas and Priscillas. Let's be Apollos who are willing to be taught and willing to grow. And it really does set the table for the next stage of ministry growth. Apollos is going to go on and do some incredible things for the Lord. Many people believe that he was a far better preacher than the Apostle Paul. Just from his giftedness. Later on, Paul talked about how he planted the seed and Apollos watered that seed, meaning he gave life to what Paul had taught, and then God is the one who gave the increase. We see that later on in Scripture. And God used him in an incredible and a great way for his glory, and God can use you in the same way. God can use you in the same way if you'd submit to him. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.